Hardy's two for five dollar breakfast bake goodness into your morning. Choose a biscuit with sausage and egg, biscuit and gravy, or French toast dips. Any two, just five dollars. Hardy's goodness in the making. These items only. Price and participation may vary. Tax not included. Impact of influence: the tragic story of a powerful South Carolina family and the mysterious deaths they are linked to. Hello, I am Matt Harris. With me, Seton Tucker. We are the host of the podcast that you've joined, and we want to thank everybody for listening. We are so grateful for you for taking the time and spending time with us, and we are thankful to the folks at the Oxygen Network, a Dick Wolf-produced documentary that ran and is now available on YouTube, and they get the link from our places, right, Seton? Yes, you can find a link to it on our Facebook page, which is Murdoch Podcast. And also our website, Murdoch podcast.com and the name of the the special on oxygen alex murdoch death deception power they are running that often but you can also say to get the uh, link through our places to check out the youtube full special and troy roberts and maya and all the folks at the production crew we we thank you so much also wanted to thank uh, you were on oh yes tales of an educated debutante i've been on with her several times and she's Really fun and witty, and it's always a pleasure to chat with her. Please uh, rate and share the podcast. So we've had a lot of questions on our Facebook page and also private messages about the most recent bond hearing, so we thought it would be a great time to bring on John Snyder. He's back. John Snyder, former DA, former defense attorney, and our legal analyst. Uh, Hey, John. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. I wanted to tell you, I've actually had three attorneys reach out to me this week saying how much they liked our podcast, and in particular having you on the podcast and giving such great legal insight. Well, I appreciate that. It is fun to help people understand what we do. And over the years, the really good lawyers get frustrated with how things get portrayed in the media and feedback sounds like it's awesome and that we're, we're doing it exactly the way it should be done. Well, and we had no idea when we started this how many lawsuits this was going to involve. So we definitely need help understanding. So uh, let's start off with the question. Seton, fire away to John Snyder. Okay, so we received a lot of questions about why there was no recording available to the public of the bond hearing. And so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this. It is still an old system and maybe an arcane system, but it's the best system in the world. And judges have 100% full discretion and whether they allow media into a courtroom uh, for live recordings. And so there is no, nobody was getting special treatment or getting harsh treatment by not having cameras rolling during that hearing. Well, yeah, a lot of response about it was also that Alec did give a statement during the bond hearing. Would you have recommended he give that statement if it had been streamed to the public? Obviously, he had two brilliant lawyers writing out what he needed to say. Maybe there's a brilliant lawyer inside of him. Who knows? What he said was in line with what needed to be said to get bond and to get a judge to consider where things were going. But at the end of the day, having video of that doesn't matter because there's a court transcriber in there. So every word that was spoken has been recorded and available. Somebody wants to go to the courthouse and and buy a copy of the the hearing. Well, but one thing I was thinking is, 
as his lawyers, I might think, well, since it's not being recorded, you can give the statement. But if it had been recorded and they could put news clips out there of him and take that audio, we could put it on our podcast or maybe that would be. I do agree with that. You could be a little more candid in in what you say when you know that there's not cameras running. At the end of the day, we want everyone to carry the presumption of innocence. No matter how bad we don't like someone, they still are entitled to the same constitutional protection that you and I are. Absolutely. Okay, so I want to talk about the public outcry because Lee's ruling allowing Bond kind of trumped Newman's ruling. So how does that work, and and why is that? A Bond hearing is kind of one of these, like, okay, as of today, uh, Friday, December 16th, May we get our client out on bond? And a judge can say yes or no. Next week, on December 23rd, they could file to have a bond hearing. The court will have a bond hearing, and they'll, they'll look at whatever's happened or come in since the 23rd. And so each bond hearing is a kind of a separate mini-case might be a way to look at it. So... It is fully appropriate for a different judge to hear a motion on bond that is not modifying or um, it's basically a new order based on new evidence and new circumstances. And then here we have the new circumstances of multiple new felony charges. And so it is appropriate for a judge to have a hearing based on all of the things together to set the bond. Okay, let's go talk to about the uh, number. They say it's one of the largest they've seen. It's $7 million, and also it is, you have to pay it all. What do you think about that number? What do you think about the fact that you have to pay it all, all that? What, what are your thoughts? Well, I think the judge is sending a message uh, probably across the legal profession to say, hey, if you think you're going to, steal from clients potentially for years and then not spend time in jail like other people, you're wrong. So I think the number's high, but the amount of money gone is also very high. And the probability of recovering that money is very low. And so the the bonds based on the evidence and probably the prosecutors mentioning that mentioning that there are even more charges coming makes it not unreasonable. The judge went above what the prosecutors had asked for. How often does that happen? That doesn't seem like that would be the normal way it plays out, or is it? It, it is. A judge has the independent authority to make a decision based on the evidence that's provided to him. And so he or she will consider the argument of counsel. Uh, he or she will look at the evidence that's in front of them, and based on what's in front of them, they'll make a decision. And so it it does happen. As a DA, the defense lawyer might come in and say, hey, John, we want a bond hearing this week. I'm like, you can get a bond hearing this week, but this might not be the judge you want to have a hearing in front of. I tell people it's a, it's a swinging door. So once you push the door open for a judge to consider the amount, the judge may push it back with a number you never thought was going to come down your way. Oh, she could have said $70 million, 
and then made him only pay seven pay seven million. <laughs> that would have been a little ridiculous, I guess. <laughs> that that yeah, that would have been. There are some like general guidelines on a bond amount, and so I think seven million would be is easily justifiable as a percentage of the amount of money that he's accused of converting for his own personal benefit. Well, what about your thoughts on, do you think this amount is punitive? I mean, because bond is not supposed to be punitive. With what we have before us as commentators and reading reports, not reading case files, he is on the hook for a large amount of money. And he's on the hook for a large amount of money with no obvious ability to repay it. And so I think it's while it's high and while it, you know, is a kick in the pants for him, I don't think it's unreasonable at this time. You, you know, you factor in the fact that the alleged life insurance debacle, um, he has not proven that he can handle being unsupervised right now. You mentioned something I caught you said in there. Does the judge see those cases? Does the judge see a lot more than we see? We only we hear what the prosecutor is saying and what the uh, defense is saying, but is the judge looking at files that the public doesn't see? No, the judge is getting handed up exhibits and evidence that, that will go into the, the clerk's file. So uh, so the judge isn't seeing anything we aren't. Now, that that doesn't mean that there wasn't an in-chamber meeting with the judge and the lawyers and the lawyer saying, hey, we want a bond hearing. And the judge saying, you can have one, but I, you, know, you may not like how I rule. And and they go out and, and you know, put it put everything on the record. There may have been arguments made that we didn't hear. The evidence that the judge based his the ruling on is based on what was before um, before the court and what we have access to. Right, because there's still that pending writ of habeas corpus, which was filed by Alex attorneys. So that will that will probably address those things, don't you think? With the initial no bond referral, it will. The Court of Appeals will say, or the Supreme Court will say, it was appropriate to not give a bond or it was not appropriate to not provide a bond. Uh, but I don't think the South Carolina Supreme Court will make recommendations about what the bond should be, because that, that is not the role of an appellate court. They, they, are, they, they are simply reviewing what's in front of them and and determining whether it's consistent with the law of South Carolina. The last thing I kind of want to talk about is this confession of judgment by Alex to the Satterfield family. Can you kind of go over what that actually means? Yeah. So the confession of judgment is a legal mechanism where a a defendant in a lawsuit can say, you're suing me for X amount of dollars. And I agree that I owe you X amount of dollars or Y amount of dollars. And there's, there's a couple of advantages to the defendant and the plaintiff for the, and then there's also a strategic advantage if the case went to trial. The overarching advantage is economy of 
judicial resources where Matt and I go to his, his brother's restaurant. We get crazy with how many chicken wings we order. And, you know, Matt, Matt gets injured because we start throwing teriyaki wings at each other. Okay. Matt has medical bills of $100,000. Instead of dragging Matt through a lawsuit, I would give a confession of judgment for $100,000. And so the court would then enter that as a judgment, and then Matt could move forward on collecting the judgment. It also goes back to what we've talked about before about being a secured creditor. Because now I have a judgment that's recorded in a, in a court's office. That puts me ahead of the visa bill, the, you know, unpaid, whatever is out there. You know, any unsecured liability, something that's not attached to property or court order. That's the overarching idea of a confession judgment. Um, oh, just one last thing. Do you think anybody's going to pony up and Alec will get out? I mean, $7 million, the combined net worth of a good portion of the population, I don't see where he's got the resources or someone willing to put $7 million of, of property at risk. You know, he can't do it himself because now he's got a receiver. So he, he's got to go back to the attorneys that basically are kind of suing him to get permission to risk assets that they need to pay creditors with. And, you know, I would say at that dollar amount being a flight risk, I don't, I don't see anyone doing it, especially since it, it, a bondsman can't get involved. No one's got $7 million of assets to put right. at risk for That's him. a big gamble. Yeah, I mean, it, there's, there's, zero, there's zero upside to doing that. Yeah, it's not good for your optics either if you're saying you're going to support him with $7 million. A lot of people would not like that. I mean, if, if you are, you're not very bright. I mean, he he doesn't have a good track record of taking things. He, he's not good at holding people's trust. <laughs> good point. Bonds work lots of different ways. There's, there's a property bond where you put up the value. You, you might use your mom's house and put, put her house up as a property bond. And, and most good lawyers will not let their clients or their client's family do that there would have to be some massive extenuating circumstances to want to risk that. And then the other is to use a bondsman. Uh, and a bondsman typically will, you know, let's say it's $100,000, your bonds set at that amount, you would pay a bondsman $10,000, one-tenth of the total bond, so that you could, you could get out. All right, John Snyder, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. You guys have a great weekend. You too, man. Looking for the perfect home for you and your family? Nervous about monthly payments? Don't be. With a mortgage from Founders Federal Credit Union, you'll get low rates, up to 90% financing, and pay no private mortgage insurance. And for a limited time only, receive their discounted interest rate without paying the 1% fee. Nice. With many loan options to choose from, like first-time homebuyer, military mortgage, and 15, 20, and 30-year fixed rate options, as well as various adjustable rate options, you can choose the mortgage that fits your lifestyle and your budget. Relax with the mortgage from Founders Federal Credit Union. Meet with one of the experienced mortgage loan officers at any of their more than 30 locations or apply now at foundersfcu.com backslash mortgage. Founders is a federally insured by NCUA 
and is an equal housing lender. Additional terms and conditions apply. Not all loan types are eligible for promotional interest rates. Promotion ends on February 28, 2022. Institution NMLS ID number 410646. I want to point out uh, that the Island Packet and Buford Gazette had a really good article where they interviewed one of the people that Alec allegedly ripped off, and his name was Jordan Jenks, or is Jordan Jenks. He was rear-ended in March 2016, injured his spine and knee, and he called his buddy Alec Murdoch. They grew up together, hunted, fished together in Hampton County, and he called Alec to get some help because he's a big-time lawyer. Jenks was a town council member in the construction business, Murdoch a lawyer and volunteer prosecutor. So Jinx trusts Murdoch. Murdoch tells Jinx that 150 grand of a settlement from the crash needed to be stowed away in a trust. This Jordan Jinx says, yeah, sure, Alec, you're my buddy. Murdoch then forged Jinx's signature, according to a South Carolina grand jury indictment, and put that money into his own account. Jinx said in an interview with the Island Packet that I mentioned, it's sickening to me. It hurts me. I got to keep myself from tearing up every time I talk about this. So Murdoch represented Jinx after this rear ending in the car crash in 2016, and they kept in touch even after the 2016 crash, because, of course, Jinx doesn't know that he's been ripped off. No, he says he sent him, he sent him yep. bull peanuts when Maggie and Paul were killed. Right. They were tight. And I also find this interesting in the article. Over two years later, Jinx said, Murdoch put him on a conference call with opposing attorneys to tell him about a settlement offer for 830 grand. Murdoch suggested it was a good offer because taking the case to trial would result in being backlogged for years. Jinx said he spoke to his wife and they agreed to take it. He says, Jinx says, I don't believe that it was a credible conference call. I believe it was his way of covering up what he had already settled and getting me to settle for less. Because it's a proven fact he forged my name and other documents. What jumps out to me on this. Yeah, because, you know, all along, you know, we've questioned whether Alec could have done this by himself. So if there was this conference call, there would have to have been someone else on the conference call. So that right there tells us that someone else was involved in this conspiracy. That's what exactly jumped out to me. Now, they don't mention that. I guess it's, but he said a conference call. So it's not like he's saying he couldn't hear the other people. Like Alec could be just going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he says blah, blah, blah. And they say blah, blah, blah. He could have been doing something like that. Well, that is true. He could have been doing one of those kind of things. But when I read it, I thought... Same thing I thought. You know, there's someone else involved. But, I mean, like like you said, we don't know. I I would like to talk to Mr. Jenks. I'm going to reach out. Of course, as we said, Murdoch took the money. He, In addition, Murdoch got $325,000 in fees from the settlement. That's in addition to ripping, allegedly ripping him off. Murdoch got set up this thing with Palmetto State Bank again. And most of Murdoch's alleged victims were former clients, but this guy's a family friend. I think their fathers were friendly in the article yep. as well. And also, Jinx says in the article, I'm still in doubt because there was never indication to me he was on opioids. So he questions the whole opioid story. And they go on to ask him, are you angry? He says, am I angry? I'm more disappointed than Alex than angry. You know, that's something that we've heard from other people members of the community about Alec, you know, these allegations of all the stuff that he's done. I mean, it's one thing that Sarah said was people are just disappointed with someone who had so many opportunities, has squandered what could have been a great life. And uh, by the way, PMPED, Alec's old law firm, has made Jinx whole. They gave him the money that allegedly Alec had taken. There was also an article, or in the article, they also t- they didn't talk to the 
the mother of Al, the, the Alex's uh, victim, uh, Sandra Taylor's mother, Elise Mallory, was another one of the alleged victims. And Mallory's daughter died after a car crash, a drunken driving uh, incident, and ripped her off. And that just this was the one that they said. You know, she she said that it they only settled for thirty thousand. He told her that when, in fact, the, the settlement was much higher. The wrongful death settlement was reached for more than 180 grand. Murdoch told this grieving mom that she received only 30 grand. Yeah, that really is outrageous. I mean, especially now that we know that this, this mother had lost her child. Unbelievable. I also wanted to reach out to some people who had some questions on either YouTube, they sent me questions, or... The Murdoch Podcast Facebook page, the MurdochPodcast.com website. Melanie says, I believe Mrs. Satterfield could have had a stroke. And Alec M said it was a dog to get more insurance money. I don't know that maybe that works. I thought both Paul and Mrs. Murdoch seemed anxious on the call, but not rude to the operator. He should have respected the operator, calling her ma'am. He didn't have to talk down to the operator. Uh, I like Satterfield's attorney that you have on. I think the murder of Paul and Maggie should be given more airtime to solve the murder. We would love to. They're we just would. I mean, breaking. that's that. Yeah, I think that's what everyone's sick of hearing about all this legal stuff. Everyone wants answers. Another question: Didn't one of the girls say Cook was driving the boat during the police interview? Then changed her story. Yes, I believe uh, Morgan in her initial statement said that it was Cook driving, but then the next day she went back. She said she felt safe when Cook was driving, but did not feel safe when Paul was driving. And so she felt unsafe right before the crash. So she believed that Paul was the driver. And finally, from Charlie, your guest, Andrew Davis, was outstanding from the Savannah TV station. I appreciated his insight into the bond hearing. I hope you have him back again. I also like John Snyder, your legal analyst. There's one point for John. So we love our guests. We always have the best people on. We have some coming up in the future. That will be great. We've been so busy over the last few weeks that if I have missed a message and I haven't responded, please reach back out to me. There you go. Murdoch Podcast Facebook page, murdochpodcast.com. We will talk soon. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.